Hey there, viewers. This is Jamal from the Dub Talk Podcast. Now, before we get into tonight's episode, I would like to take a moment to warn you that this is not the full film of Hal. Rather, this is a discussion of the film. If you want to watch the film, it is available for streaming on Funimation's website, as well as the Funimation Now app. It's also available for purchase on Right Stuff or wherever you buy your anime. That having been said, there's also language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences, so viewer discretion is advised. As this is a review, there will also be spoilers for how, as well as any other anime or media to occur, so be very careful if there's something you haven't listened to yet. Last but not least, the views and opinions expressed are those of myself and my co-hosts for tonight's episode, and does not necessarily reflect those of the Dub Talk podcast. Now gather around as we discuss a tale of love and loss between a human and a robot. Hey, 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 no judging. Love knows no bounds. It transcends humanity. And all that matters is affairs of the heart. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll probably be frustrated. But join us, won't you? For the review of how. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dub Talk. The podcast where we cover the latest and greatest in anime. Tonight is very special, however, because we're going deeper than Roper than your favorite anime movies. That's right, it's our annual Summer at the Movies. And with me tonight is my partner in crime for this year, Zenith. Hey everybody, I'm uh, Zenith Warrior Princess, and uh, we're here to talk about a movie um, that I hadn't heard of before, and I have things to say, um, but welcome to Dub Talk. Latest and greatest of dubs, and, and sometimes we talk about new stuff. In case you have noticed by the title of the episode, we will be covering the uh, 2013 anime film, How, from which studio? Yes, that's right, the same people that bought you the, the Attack on Titan franchise. Really? And uh, in case, yes. <laughs> and uh, trust me, that is going to be very relevant for tonight. And uh, in case you missed that uh, disclaimer at the beginning, no, this is not the full film of how. Please take your pilot and ask somewhere else. And by extension, no, this is not the film Shadow How. Thank you, Google Search, for reminding me that film exists. And, uh, yeah, th- this is not going to be, uh, 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 this is going to be a full-on discussion. We're going to spoil things. If you haven't seen Hal already, go do it. It's only an hour long. Yes. It's pretty easy to watch. I have thoughts, but we'll get to that. Emphasis on discussion. <laughs> uh, in case you couldn't tell by the uh, time code listed on the video. Yes, the movie's only an hour long, but the synopsis goes as follows. Man, I wish I could find a shorter synopsis. Kurumi's heart was broken by the sudden death of her boyfriend in a tragic airplane accident. Forced to carry on without her beloved house, she fell into a reclusive and shortest existence. Kurumi had given up on the world, but a brilliant scientist devised the plan to win her back. By melding futuristic technology with the binary equivalent of human emotion, they created an ultra-lifelike robotic surrogate to take house place, and lured Kurumi from her trial of solitude. Resisted at first, this shattered beauty slowly yielded to her feelings of longing and took comfort in the company of a robot, though the bond, unique bond grew stronger with each passing day. Kurumi and Hal would soon discover that nothing about the artificial love story was quite as it seemed. Uh, on the off chance you've noticed, if I sound a little congested, I do apologize. The weather's been crazy here in Florida recently, so just bear with me here. Yeah, it, it's been pretty bad on my end, too. Uh... We've had a heat wave, and my joints swole up so much today that I had to, like, just take a four-hour nap because I literally just could not even do anything. <laughs> you, you know when people say they can't even? I, that was the embodiment of literally can't even. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, pain. So, yeah, this is kind of an interesting film, like... And honestly, it's also kind of it's also kind of interesting. I'm discussing it with you, Zenith, because I own this copy on Blu-ray DVD, 
And I bought this at the, probably the only time I ever went to AB, which, now that you think about it, that's when I first met you. Wow, that that that's actually kind of crazy, because I remember that anime boss, and that was a while back. That was when I first started, like, my first attempt at History of One Piece, <laughs> way back when. Yes, and hopefully with uh, my condition right now, we could keep this episode in One Piece. <laughs> let, let, let's, well, let us hope that Toei doesn't try to take down their own channel again. <laughs> Well, Toei's gonna Toei, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, I this movie was interesting for me. I have issues, but the thing is, I like the premise. I, I think the one thing I, I, that really struck me about it was the premise. Um, we have seen something like this with like AI and a few other films where people cope with death with a robotic, robotic companion, but having a robot take on the visage of a human is somewhat new like there are cliche parts to it but i i like the idea the biggest problem i have is when we get to the twist and i think the twist spoils what they were going to go for with the entire premise and overall i found this okay i think it could have been so much more i love the quiet moments the best part about this film is the quiet moments, and that's when I, I see where they were going for with it. But I, I feel like a lot of this is ruined because uh, parts of it are a bit cliche and enforced, and, and I feel like they foreshadow the twist way too early on, and uh, a lot of the problem I have is with the twist and, and the switching of the message. Yeah, but we'll get to that twist part. We'll get to that twist later on. So right now, let's start as we always do without ADR director and scriptwriter. Uh, our ADR director is uh, Mike McFarlane, and our scriptwriter is Brian Crinkybeard. Uh, Mike McFarlane, you've seen him direct other shows such as Bloodbot, Kate Battlefront. The Evangelion Rebuild movies, the Tokyo Ghoul franchise, and relevant to tonight's discussion, Attack on Titan. Uh, Bonnie Kirkenberg, you see a right for other stuff such as the Black Butler franchise, a certain magical index, one, two, the Miracle of Endymion movie, a certain scientific railgun, railgun S, Death Parade, and Yuri on Ice. So, Zen, why don't you go first on this discussion? Um, I'm torn about this dub because I normally love Mike McFarland. He has done some of my favorite dubs in the business. Blood Blockade Battlefront is one of my favorite dubs I put up there with like Cowboy Bebop because it is just so good. But on the other hand, this dub has issues. I think the biggest problem might be the, the writing. It might be Bonnie. But I, I can't really tell because a lot of it is directing. Um, the voice acting itself is very good. Tonally, it, it, it's, it's very good vocally. But the problem I have is there's not enough range of emotion. It is, ironically enough, a lot of times robotic. And we'll get into that when we discuss Hal and Kurumi. And I think part of that is the point. But it carries over to the other characters as well, and I don't think there's enough emotion in it. And what leads to this, and I think is the cause of this, is that every single character speaks in a very proper dialect. It reads like a literal translation, and sometimes that can work. But here, we get these awkward pauses, like it's, you, you know in Kingdom Hearts, Ari Chain of Memories where they have to match the Japanese instead of, like, making it accessible in English, it, it, it feels stilted. And I have a lot of problems when we get to some really good parts and, and we see so that, that there can be good acting on display, but then there's a line that's thrown in that throws me off where they, they say, you know, they, they don't use contractions, they will use things properly and they won't give themselves a pause before they get to the next thought. 
it, it very much reads as if a first draft a first draft of a literal translation if that makes sense I, I think I see where you're coming from because are you done or? Uh, I'm all done yeah okay because that kind of leads to what I have to say with body I'm I'm pretty used to writing like sometimes I can't tell if it's like really async rock that's like a a good key to be a good script writer is like if you can if you can make something like don't feel not like out if there's something out of place as long as you don't make it like feel too out of place and it works with the works with the context I think you'll be all right I didn't really find anything for body that really bothered me or anything but then again I have not watched this in the Japanese so mm-hmm. same I've only I've yeah. only seen the dub so I'm just speaking from. Um, from what I can hear, uh, and, and normally when I put a put this sort of thing where it's like it feels like they just took the literal script, it's because I've seen the sub. Um, but that's just how noticeable it was to me. Um, yeah. in, in this regards. Yeah, whereas Mike McFarlane, first off, this is the first time I've ever talked about about Mike McFarlane's project ever. Like, I mean, I know we talked about stuff in the past, but. I do. He's usually the guy you get for like big day projects and so like the stuff I just listed off. But there are also some smaller intimate projects who he'll get into like the Juicy Ito collection, Arifuerta, Nova, that kind of thing. And uh, not to date this episode any further, but uh, happy belated birthday, Mike McFarlane. Happy belated birthday. Uh, you still do great stuff. I'm sorry I didn't like this. I don't think it was your fault. And part of the reason I agree with that sentiment is because I own the copy, so I was able, because it has a commentary on it, and I decided to check out the commentary just before I came on to this recording. The reason I say Attack on Titan was relevant to tonight's discussion is not only because it was produced by the same studio, but this but the, this stuff was being recorded at, just as Mike was wrapping up Attack on Titan. Really? Yeah, because... Hmm. Yeah, because as a matter of fact, if you look at the additional voices credits, you see Lord Ladder on there. Lord Ladder, Eddie from Attack on Titan. Wow. Because, like, yes. I've watched the first season of Attack on Titan dubbed because Lilac showed that to me. That That is a fantastic dub. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm leaning towards... Maybe the script Bonnie might have something to do with how stilted this is. I think the I think the reason you could think that is because the, it took them two and a half weeks to dub this. Mm. Not only that, but uh, certain key actors we will get to later. Some been around the while. Did we have its main big roles, and uh, one in particular was kind of green when they started this project. So. But yeah, we'll, but it definitely we'll get, does show. <laughs> but we'll get more into that later on. But I think for right now, uh, opinions on this are kind of mixed. Like, I don't really have any real problems with it. Of course, Zenith does with the script. But on and on, you know, they did the best they can. Having not seen the sub, I can't talk adaptation-wise. But what I see here is... um great vocal delivery just problems with the writing personally yes and not only that but i think because i read a review of an a and review of this and they said that the, uh, some of the animation seemed kind of out of the place whereas yeah some of the other animation was kind of better in particular with the the old folk home which Let's get into that section now because the our first section covers a a wide variety of old folks. So we have uh, Doctor Arn, uh, Doctor Arnami, the uh, essentially robotic therapist and uh, neighborhood doctor who uh, helps treat uh, our uh, patient to robotic therapy after the loss of the loved one, the plane crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, more on that later. We have uh, Tokyo, who's a uh, house grandfather, who as I guess essentially was exposition for house character, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then we have Sukiko, uh, 
old handicapped lady who decides to help Hal out after initially calling him a sissy for lack of better terms I can remember right now. As how after Hal tries to steal Petraraf for Kurumi from a, a convenience store, she uh, calls up the said owner, who I guess she had connections with, and got him that Petraraf. <laughs> but playing these three, doc, the doctor is played by ugh, fucking congestion, man. I sound like I'm high right now. <laughs> you you sound like you uh you broke your nose. And I've, I've broken my nose before, too. Nah. That is a memory I do not want to relive. Oh, boy. The Doctor is played by Bill Flynn. Tokyo is played by Grant James. And Tsukiko is played by Pam Doherty. Uh, Bill Flynn, you've heard in other roles such as Genzo from One Piece. And Friedrich IV from Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Di Noe Tessa. Grant James, you've heard as Kido and Baki the Grappler, the original Baki, and Chef Zef in One Piece, and Pam Doherty, you've heard as Sophie Sawalish in Chakugan Oshana 3, and Sakai Jinochi in Summer Wars, which I believe you covered last year, Senna. Yes, I have. Uh, this floor is yours. Alright, first thing, I do want to mention the animation. The film is generally pretty good with its animation. The opening in particular and a lot of the lead up, the main characters. When it gets the old folks, though, it gets weird. Uh, you, you get the squash and stretch and they're, they're just things that are out of proportion, especially on like Sukiko's jawline. Uh, there's another old lady who looks like she's melting. And then there's another lady whose eyes what is up with her eyes? Sad thing is, I tried to fit those ladies in there, but uh, I know I know the names, but I could not tell which character was which. So yeah. Um, speaking outside of the animation, um, I think this group is probably the most solid out of everyone, and aside from a character we'll discuss later, because um, you know he's he's. A more main character and he does a great job um the best out of this group to me was sukiko by pam doherty you can tell this is a person who knew her way around voice acting she's a curmudgeonly old grandmother uh who just you know she she has spunk and i like the character i like the vocal performance she was one of the few that didn't have any problems with um too much of the proper dialect I think there was one time where she said it is instead of it's that kind of threw me off. But for the most part, her dialogue was great. I loved her performance. Um, Grand James's Tokyo. I liked as well. I've actually seen the uh, seen Zeph um, in the English Barati arc and um, pretty much use the same vocal intonation here. And I think it works for the character. Tokyo is not that important, so I mean, I'm not going to touch on him too, too much, but I think overall his lines was great. Although the minor character that was next to him that had the second line in the movie um, was bad. And and that 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 second line threw me off so much because of the way it was delivered. And it was all because of the stunted way he, he was he was talking. It just. Wow, I don't know his name. Probably a very, very bit part, but like just the second line of the film just took me out of it. Um, as for Dr. Aranami, um, this one is partially good. I like the voice itself. I think the line delivery, the emotion, the quirk is there. He was hit a lot by the timing and pacing of his words because there was a lot of times he would hurry up and say something and wouldn't finish a complete thought before starting into another thought and that really took me out of it and I don't know if it's the performance or if it's the script or the directing but there's something off about Bill Flynn's performance in this film and I just I couldn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to alright 
So uh, starting with uh, Grand Japes is Tokyo. Uh, yeah, I agree with kind of minor role, but like I said, he did kind of provide exposition to the kind of person how it was and how it used to be, which I will get into that later for very personal reasons. But I think he did okay for what he was given. Uh, Pam Doherty is Sukiko, however. Yeah, she definitely sounded like she knew her way around and everything. I'll be, I'll be just acting like this. Characters definitely sound like she has personal connections to a lot of things because she, the Sukiko did did what she did for how because of a favor she owed Kurumi. She recognized Kurumi's brooch on him because for context, uh, Sukiko was put in this old old folks home because uh, she had an argument for her family because they sold off her, some of her, some of her stuff without knowing. Which, that sentiment is going to be echoed later on, folks. And so, Kurumi was the one to help her get her stuff back. And she owed, she, I guess she essentially owed a debt to him. So, she did what she did, and Pam's performance kind of reflected that. It was, it was very good. And the fact is, the grandma from Summer Wars is just, it's all the more better. Uh, Bill Flynn, I'm probably going to get into depth a little more because I did, like I said, I didn't really find anything that was too problematic, like, I didn't really notice anything because, again, the stuff was done in two and a half weeks, but uh, he essentially had the three lead actors on the commentary, one being Bill Flynn, and uh, he kind of, I he he definitely knows his way about voice acting too because one of the things they commented on was, okay, this movie is barely passable for sci-fi. Like, there's some elements that make it look sci-fi, but it's not actually sci-fi. It's more slice of life. One of the things he states that sci-fi, if done well, can project the viewer into a future that might not exist, much like this movie. But if done wrong, it can kind of cheat the viewer out in order to advance the story, which unfortunately is also what's happening here. And I think his character did a, I, more or less a pretty good job of that, if, albeit that it suffered at some points, because, you know, it, the dubbing is a hive mind, you got the actor, the director, the engineer, but at least with his story, because you, you will find out later on what the deal is with the Tokyo and the doctor, doctor later on. <laughs> Another thing they state, that he stated about this is that a tragic a tragic story like this can allow someone to explore their feelings without consequences. Which kind of makes perfect sense if you think about it, but we'll get more to that later. But, uh, mm-hmm. but one thing, and this is the thing with all three of the lead actors, they kind of make comparisons to like other sci-fi movies that they have favorites of. And what the what he what he stated was that kind of, it kind of felt like the the sixth sense the breakable, especially with the plot twist coming up. I can kind of see that, but I, I know I mm. but it's good. I know it's gonna sound convoluted, but when we get into that, we'll get into that. But overall, more or less, they did these people did their job to the best of their abilities. If there were any issues to be had, it's basically the movie itself that's the problem mm-hmm. but do you want to move on to our second in command essentially yes he kind of proved to to be usable useful in uh, providing our one of our big characters backstories if you will we have a Ryu who I guess it turned out. It turns out he's he looks kind of like a grifter or something along those lines. But when you get into the backstory of how you find out that uh, I guess he and how used to do some retrieval work when they were kids for a debt that was that needed to be owed. Essentially, uh, we'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, he. He's pretty. Mu- he pretty much has been with house since childhood, after another tragic moment in his life. But uh, 
I'm sorry. It's hard to it's hard to give away the, really the context of his character without a without giving away the essentially the backstory of how who gets to the main section. But Ryu is played by Todd Habercorn. If and Todd Habercorn, you've heard the other roles such as Marlo Freudenberg from Attack on Titan, Datoon Fairy Tale. Jedi in the Redub of Sailor Moon and Ayato Kirishima in the Tokyo Ghoul franchise. I think Todd is the best voice actor in this entire film. <laughs> like, Sukiko, I loved her. I loved her to death, and I love her in Summer Wars. But I think that what Todd, Todd Habercorn managed to do with this minor character who was barely involved was really amazing um he makes this character mysterious mischievous you don't really know his deal and then it leads to a part where like you think something is going to happen to kurumi and he's sinister but then he also shows a vulnerable side when the twist happens like there's there's layers to this character and todd brings it out todd is is in my eyes the best voice character and the most natural sounding of this dub. Oh, man. Thinking back on it, I think I think you may be right. <laughs> I, I don't want to say because like I said, I didn't really have any real major issues with the dub. But thinking back on it, you may be right and the layers that they bring. There's another bit that I'm going to bring up when we talk to Hal that relates to this, but overall Todd just brings his a game and uh, it, it works. It's a minor character. It's a minor comparative minor character who brings the semi major backstory and it works. Mm-hmm. That have been said though, opinions are we agree on this performance. It was easily the standout. And now we come to our main two, our two main characters of this movie, how and we have Kurumi. And the thing about this, these two are a loving couple who, and with how, okay, his backstory is this. When he was born, he was born with a bum heart. His parents were one day able to, his parents had to take out a loan in order to get him a beating heart. But couldn't keep up the payments, and essentially, essentially abandoned him. They pulled a hiatus, the combat button on him, and just abandoned him outright. Which I don't know. If he like grew up on streets before. His grandfather took him in, or what his, the deal was. They never really explained that. You find there's a lot that's not yeah, explained, to be honest. Yeah. But I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> to what you find out through uh, him and Ryu's flashbacks is that. They essentially both were, I don't know, I guess dubbed to dive into a retrieval or something for robots or, robots or sci-fi or something. He mentions it when he's talking to Kurumi in the cafe about there's some stuff that uh, robots can do. There's some stuff they pay humans to do that uh, robots can't because of the uptick maintenance. Anyway, that's kind of fuzzy. He meets Kurumi, you know, they have a very good life. Yeah, everything changes whether he accidentally sells off her butter collection because Kurumi has a thing for knick a thing for knickknacks. Like she was a dick knickknack shop. Again, that was never really explained, but <laughs> Yeah, they get into an argument. They, uh she essentially storms off. They have a big argument at the airport. And that is where the, if you see the beginning of the movie, there's a plane crash. There's a, a plane explosion. Which is never explained. We don't know how this happens. Probably mechanical failure. To which you believe through the synopsis that, uh, hell, it's went on the plane and died in the accident. It's actually the opposite. Kurumi was the one that was on the plane and died as a result. And I guess how his mind was too broken, which I can't fault him for that. You know, when you lose love, you'd be surprised how easily your mind can break. Trust me, I know. 
which led him to believe this whole time that he thought he was a robot. Yeah, that whole scene you see with him and the doctor, and he's just coming off for by like, he's on Ivy and stuff. Yeah, no, that's just, I guess that's just his uptick for his heart because, you know. Okay, I'm dragging on longer than I need to, to be honest. Can, can I just weigh in on this before we even talk about the actors? Because this is where I have problems and where I, I, I'm i just, I'm t really like, I'm torn. Because on the one hand, I see what they're going for. Yeah. I see the, the bait and switch that they wanted to do. And I can clearly see how they wanted this to be a story of someone who saves a girl from her depression after losing a loved one. But they didn't follow through with either idea. And at the end, Kurumi, um, who is the robot, gets washed away and lost and, and is all about Hal moving on. I get so much conflicting messages from this, and a lot of it is because of how vague and ill-defined everything is. We don't know anything about the science of this world. We don't know a lot about the technology of the world. Like, sometimes we see high technology with robots, but we don't see... But then it's like a modern-day Tokyo, and it's it's this weird yeah, exposition. Mike we, sorry. Ike explained in the commentary that he thinks that this, is, this is like set in the near future era. But that's... I mean, because I know there are some Android concepts that are out there, but it's never fully realized just yet. So... Yeah, and we just get the explanation that they have the technology to put a human in a robot, which that was part of the thing that took me out of it from the beginning. But, you know, whatever. The story is what was supposed to be about a girl coming to grips with yeah. the death. And when we get to the quiet scenes, that's where I really loved it. Because it's about, you know, finally starting to get to that. But there just wasn't enough feeling, enough, enough emotion. And a lot of it is because, um, not just the voice acting, but when, when we get to this point we see too much foreshadowed. As soon as I saw them arguing, I, I figured something was up. I could predict where this was going. And then I saw the, the airport scene and I'm like, oh, she's the one who died instead. And it's too predictable for one, but for two, it ruins the idea of them moving on. And the fact that the robot dies in the end also kind of goes against it too. Like, yeah, he needs to move on. And the scene where Ryu tells him, you have to live, that was the only part that really got to me because it was very reminiscent of Robin's in One Piece. But it is not enough to make me feel for these characters. And I feel a lot of it is because they went in two different directions, it, it, it feels like, it, it feels conflicted. And if if Kurumi had survived at the end and he had said goodbye to her in that regard, or if he said, you know what, Kurumi's gone, but I still like you and, and this is helping, that would have been another thing. But it just, it's, it's, do you see what I'm saying? It's conflicted. Yeah, you know, you know what this reminds me of? Have you ever seen the, the TV show Pushing Daisies? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, but I have heard of it. Uh, it's it's essentially it's like a little bit more or less a similar concept to the go, uh, in which the uh, two big characters one of them is actually dead. Ah. Yeah, and the and the other kind of brings it back to life. But it was never explained like how that was kind of achieved or anything. And then, I guess they tried to cope be with with each other without each other. Tried to express their feelings for one another. I'm probably reading a little way too much into this, but yeah, that just popped in my head all of a sudden. Mm. I mean, maybe you could discuss that part at length another day. But right now, let's get into these actors. Uh, Hal is played by Chris Burnett, and 
Kurubi is played by Bird April. Uh, Chris Burnett knew further mischaracters such as Hiroto Maihara from Assassination Classroom, Romeo from Romeo X Juliet, Yoichi Saotome from South of the End, Toru from Shiki, and Shinano Toshiro from Saku Tokenwabu Hanamaru. But April is no stranger to the talk you've heard of as Mitsu the Assassination Classroom, Crystal Lens from Attack on Titan, Kondui Itsuka from the Daylight franchise, Yui Yamada from Kasi-san and Born in Glories, and Hanukkah Tamurai from Real Life. You know, the problem with these performances is not the performances themselves. Because I understand what they were going for. Chris Burnett is very robotic as Hal, which he's he thinks he's a robot. That makes sense. And when you see the the back the flashbacks, his performance is really, really good. Flashback Hal is is legitimately fantastic. I had no issues. There finally is emotion. There's finally a heart and soul to that. But you don't get any of that with present Hal. And I know they were going for the robotic angle, but it really doesn't help that like there's a lot of things that are just too stilted for the emotion that they were trying to put into the scene. And if he had gone maybe a little bit more robotic with it and maybe had like a mechanical like tone to his voice, maybe, um, but it does ruin a lot of the emotion in the scene. And Bryn April is great as Kurumi, but, but she's supposed to be a robot. And if she is a robot, why doesn't she sound robotic? <laughs> it The twist ruins a lot of this because when you look back at the stuff with Hal and how he's just like, what does feel mean? And like, he, he, he's, he, he does all this stuff, but then, like, there's glimmers of his emotion coming out, and it... Like, if this was just a story about an actual robot helping a girl to get over this, I wouldn't have any issues with the leads, because they would have gone a little bit more with the roboticness, and I think it could have worked, and I would have had more emotion... A robot learning to feel like a human and, and to help someone overcome death. That's a good idea. But the twist ruins both of the lead's performances because at the back of my mind now, I'm thinking, but Bryn wasn't robotic whatsoever. And they only foreshadowed it through the, through the thing that she kept showing with the flashbacks, which another thing that's not explained and a huge plot hole for me. How did they get the shots of them having the fight. Were they just recording everything? Uh, you you kind of noticed that uh, at one because remember, they said at the beginning that uh, during the date that uh, when she when uh, how dropped that little glowing thing, he she thought it was his heart, I guess, like you know, kind of like an external defibrillator, that kind of thing. Because usually, you have an artificial uh, heart or pacemaker, you should have kind of a device on the outside that's supposed to keep it charging, keep it pumping. But if it, if it was his heart, though, then how is he still surviving? Okay, see, that's the thing. She assumed it was his heart. Yeah. It's ever since that day, you know, they kept it nearby because we know that his damn should not pacemaker. I, I just... There, there are so many things that at least that bit of technology I can explain. I did, I did not realize that there was actually a camera. So I just don't know why it was recording then. Like, is it always recording? Why would it be always recording? I... My guess is it is either malfunctioned or like you know it comes out by touch or something like that. Maybe maybe proximity. Okay, I I could probably buy that. I'm just. It's a Again, they, a lot of these things are not really explained. See, here's the thing about me. When I see stuff like this, I try to make sense of it to at least, you know, come to terms with it. I've seen some stuff in the past that I cannot <laughs> try to explain at all. This is the best I can do at this point for this movie. For me, when it comes to plot holes, 
if the story up to that point is fine, I can write it off. Like, the ending to Afro Samurai makes no goddamn sense. But the lead-up to it is great. And I'm just like, you know what? I can still enjoy it. With this, I, I found myself scratching my, heads, my head a lot. And then the twist happened, and it ruined good, perfectly good performances. Well, there's another reason for that, but go on. <laughs> um, it just... If, if the roles had been reversed, if Kurumi was more robotic and Hal wasn't, or, or if the story had been changed, these performances would be fine. But the story is the problem. And I, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry, Bryn. You did your best. But you... It just... You couldn't do anything with this. I'm sorry. You're done? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a perfectly good reason why I think the way it is, even before the twist. Uh, when I listened to the commentary, I found out that uh, one person was told the twist of the movie, the other was not. Can you take a guess which? Hell? Knew the twist or did it? Hell, I, I, was, I would think Chris knew the twist. It's actually the opposite. Huh? Yep. But... <laughs> yeah, when Mike directed him, he didn't tell him the twist of the movie. So that's why he kind of gave a dry... He said oh, that's why he gave a dry read overall. Yeah, because, you know, to keep that twist... To keep people guessing until the end. Like I said, you know, when the sci-fi were done right, can project the view to a future that might not exist. If done wrong, it can cheat the viewer out. And I think in your case, you feel cheated. Because you didn't know twist. Chris certainly didn't know twist. Bryn did. And that's why Bryn's voice wasn't robotic. Because, again, you didn't know the twist until towards the end of the movie. So It, it should have had slight twinges or something. Or, I don't know. It just, to me, there's... It's a hard thing to do, and I understand this, but what I personally would have done if I was the ADR director and, you know, I'm not I'm not Mike McFarland. He's much better than I will ever be. But if I was doing this, I would have probably tell, told both of them so they could have both parts of inflection in their voice. And it's just to me, Bryn sounds too natural if she's supposed to be a robot. Well, yeah, I can agree with that, but the problem with that is, and like I explained, they only did this dub in two and a half weeks, so one, they really have a lot of time, and two, there was really no source material other than the sub of this movie to go off of, so... Yeah. I'm sorry, but, guys. Like, I don't want to come across as negative, because I don't think this is a bad movie. I think it's just okay, personally. Um... And I think there's a lot of talent involved in this. It's just there's a lot of things going against it. And when I was watching it, I just I wanted to feel for it, but I didn't. And that it, I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way. But anyway, yeah. So my takes on the performances, because I know Chris described his voices and kind of shows Chris is. He's, he's a guy you normally see around Funimation, like you see him in some roles, but he's not, you, know, you don't really see him in as much of a lead role as this, so I guess, you know, it was kind of, I guess, taking out the fighting pan into the fire, I guess, because the fact that this was done on such a short time constraint, and, you know, with director, you got, yeah, you can only do multiple takes that the, it's up to the director to decide which one to go with. So he probably could give this best. He probably could give this worst. We don't know. I mean, I would like to be a fly on the wall for this session, but you know, you do what you can. You know? At the end of the day, it's what works for Mike. And honestly, I don't really have any problem with it because hell, it kept me, it kept me convinced that he was a robot this whole time. And surprise, surprise, he wasn't. He was just in shock, which. Believe me, I can. I know because uh, much like how I also lost love with lost a couple of what's actually, I mean, 
uh, yesterday was the anniversary of my grandfather's death, but what really shocked me was why I lost my grandmother, because the, the night I found out we lost her, I barely had a cohesive thought in my mind, so when I see Hal in his situation, I can relate more than I would like to I admit, can but I can relate. That. I can understand that. I have lost several people in my lifetime and that numb feeling of directionlessness and it, it, it's not so easy to get over. So I can understand hell breaking down because of this. I can relate. Yeah, so... I mean, to him, Kurumi's just his way of coping. So... Well, well, robot Kurumi, which getting into Brent's performance, because the thing about this is, this was this this performance was pretty much during a heyday when she started beginning. To give you context, this move, this dub came out. I believe I I tried to check August twenty thirteen. Brent started in July twenty thirteen at Funimation, doing a couple roles, you know. Namely, Melody from Fairy Tale, and so I guess as Hollywood would say, she's kind of green and shows, but it never really took me out. Anything. I guess my one caveat with this is, this is she said herself, this is actually close to an actual voice, but the thing about this is, it came off a little more cutesy than grown up because you know. We don't know the age of Kurumi, you know, before she passed, at least. And so, in some ways it works, in some ways it kind of did it, especially with the animation, because, I mean, if you look at the box art of it, you know, she's got this uh, wide mouth grin and just this happy-go-lucky face. Jesus Christ, those eyes are big. <laughs> but, you know... And she kind of lives for this dramatic lifestyle because she was, she had also said commentary that, uh, that, you know, people come to these kinds of stories, like I said, you know, to explore the feelings without consequence. I guess in some ways, slice of life or tragic stories, you know, either reminds them of a tragic need they themselves encounter or, you know, I get, or... It helps them to explore feelings I guess they never knew they had. I mean, hell, that was one of the reasons I got back into anime after such a long drought. Because years of TV comedies have kind of soured me. Because there were things I that were supposed to be funny that I never found funny. And I thought I was losing my emotions. I almost ended up becoming, becoming robotic like Hal herself. And then, I mean, hell, if it wasn't for Barker and Tess and... Listening to Britney a lot of things, which, uh, as other people in the podcast will attest, I am a huge fan of her. You know, her words can carry that kind of weight. That when I first saw this film, that twist kind of threw me for a loop, but it had me in tears because she has that kind of voice that can really pull your heartstrings. I guess if you let her, you really, you know? Like there I said, were, uh, go on. Like I said, she lives for that dramatic kind of lifestyle, and she even said herself, it kind of reminded her of uh, Chobits, which we covered for the anniversary on the podcast recently. She said there was a parallel between uh, Kurumi and Chi, which I can kind of see, but I have not watched Chobits to explore that depth, so that I don't know if I'd want to at this point. So... Mm. I mean, I saw a little bit of Chobits. I like it, um, but it's it, it's very much of its time. Um, I mean, you have a, there's an entire scene where she's walking down the street just saying panties, um, and I find that funny. But your mileage may vary. Yeah, but I like Bryn. I think yeah. Bryn's a wonderful actress, and the moments that got me the most emotional were hers. It just issues and it's kind of funny because going back to whole, the whole movie thing because they because these two guys gave on the, on the commentaries they gave uh, 
the favorite films, I guess, was uh, similar concepts to this film. Like, Chris talked about Back to the Future and Looper. And Brad actually talked about Inception, if you could believe it. Which I can actually see this now, if you think about it. Because, you know, the whole thing with uh, Mary Cotillo did Inception, which, if you've never seen it, well, you managed to be very, I know, uh, I personally like the film, but I know some people have a problem with Christopher Nolan's films, so, to each their own, that's all I'm gonna say. I, I love Inception, but I feel like it's one of those films, kind of like Memento, where I think it's really, really good, but another person could watch it and be confused, because a lot of it requires very careful, like, attention span um which <laughs> hell is kind of the opposite if you don't pay as much attention as i did while watching it you probably won't see the twist coming and um a lot of this is because i've been reviewing a lot of films and writing scripts lately so I i've just trained my mind to look at things a certain way um it just critically i don't think hell holds up emotionally if you're just reviewing it, you might like it. Yeah, if this is your first time, uh, it's gonna throw you for a loop. But it's pretty, it's pretty decent. I don't think it holds up on later rewatches because at that point you already know what's coming. And uh, Brent's, Brent's effectiveness kind of wears off over time. Like I really like, like I said, I really like this stuff because. Her words bear weight when it comes to traumatic things, but in this one, it just kind of wears down after after multiple pizza watching it. Yeah, like some some movies lend themselves to multiple watches. Like I, for example, I can watch Scott Pilgrim multiple different times and get new stuff out of it, or or um, Fight Club, or or stuff like that, or. Um, Knives Out. I could. I've watched that several times, and I see new things every single time. This film has one trick, and unfortunately, if you're paying attention or if you watch it a second time, you're gonna see this trick coming, and the rest of it is just not as good uh, to to hold it up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, personally, I think for me with these two, it's. I guess in a way, it's kind of like Romeo or Juliet. If uh, Romeo hadn't committed to us, if Romeo hadn't committed, commit. God damn it! What is wrong with my nose? If if Romeo hadn't committed seppuku, yes, basically. Oh, good guy! Oh, I'm gonna enjoy how this way up later on. Jesus fuck! Trust me, I do worse on my own recordings. My editors hate me. They love me, but they're like, Zen, you really need to stop, like, just say a full line. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank God it's just the two of us. <laughs> the two of us. We, we can, can make, make it, it if, if we, try. we try. Oh, okay. Let's not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, you know, I mean, what our general opinions are, whatever faults the movie may has kind of reflected in the performance performances but the performance really performances weren't really all that bad you know they did the best with what they were given and for rush job it was pretty good pretty decent uh that having been said let's get to our final thoughts so Zedif. oh boy here we go what are your thoughts on this film i again I do not think this is a bad film, but I think it's okay at best, but it's confused. It doesn't have a solid direction. It tries to do two different things at once. It wants this twist. It wants to have this relationship, but it doesn't commit to either one and it's hurt by it. Uh, in terms of the dub, it's very too transliterated it's very too literal to the script it feels unnatural at times and while there are two performances that were super great a film that takes me out of the entire film 
with the second character line. And yes, it's a side character and it's happened before, you know, side characters tend to get like given to more green actors. Um, It's still, it's the second line of the film and it just kept happening throughout. I kept got take it out. I wanted to feel for these characters. I really did. But there's only a couple moments and it was the quiet moments. It was the moments where they didn't talk and the music was swelling and, and it was silent and it's like, that's the original movie doing something right. That's not the dub doing something right. And so I can't give it that. When I'm just looking at the dub, I don't think it's that great. I think they tried their best. I love Mike McFarland, but I just don't think it's quite there. They either didn't have enough time or they didn't have um, enough experience with uh, you know, the, the voice actors might not have had enough experience or it's just they didn't have enough time to redo the, the lip flaps or something. I'm not an expert on dubbing. I, I do know how game dubbing works and how like a lot of times you just change it to match the new voice actors rather than matching the old lip flaps. I don't know how it is quite in American uh uh, American dubbing studios it just feels off and that to me just threw out a lot of it Pam Doherty and uh, Todd Habercorn really got me into the movie they were great the rest have problems okay so pretty much when I got into this film Okay, so I bought this at, like I said, AB, my old, the only year I went to, as part of a trifecta. And uh, I bought it because, again, I'm a Brynn April fan, but I generally enjoy her work. So, when I started watching this film, but I was, of course, like everybody else, I was taken aback by the twist of the film, but it never really bothered me or anything. It just I made the drama harder than it extremely needed to be, but you know, when Brent's performance made it work. That having been said, uh, yeah, this this was not really one of Mike's McFarlane's finest. Like I said, he was, it only took him two and a half weeks to do this dub, and he was just about, just coming off the first season of Attack on Titan, so having to switch between, you know, Shouty, shouty, screaming action time to something more quiet and intimate, you know. It, it kind of takes a while to get adjusted to, but I do think you, it was it was okay for what he was given. The really really tough part with the, the, story, the story is not only having to figure out what was going on in the sub, but the fact that there was really no source material for this. Which, you know, back in the day was really tough four cyborg dubs which is ironic because I also found out this year they published in the manga for how so hopefully maybe you'll make it short one day over to the west and maybe we, we could get localized to figure out what exact what exactly is going on and make sense of this but uh, yeah I mean I know a lot of things are finished in the manga um and perhaps I'll do a licensed media limbo episode on it yeah. and talk about adaptation process. And, and to add fuel to the fire, uh, apparently the the body that was uh, storyboarded the uh, episode director on this, the, the, the also did Guilty Crowd. And we all know how Guilty Crowd kind of turned out, so... Uh, I don't, but I can imagine from your reaction... <laughs> I dropped it after three episodes because I could not... Spared what was happening next, but so it was like a King's Game type ep- type anime. Never mention that show in front of me ever again. <laughs> Don't talk to me or my son <laughs> ever again. There was oh no King's Game in Bossing Say. There was no Sukihime anime. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but but yeah, like I said, you know, for much job it was. Pretty good for what they were given. Could it be better? Yeah. Am I mad about it? No, not really. You know, it's just one of those things like... I guess if you have an hour to spare... 
and you just need something comforting or soothing or something you could relate to a little bit, this would be good for you to watch otherwise. Otherwise, I would probably suggest this one. But at least, at the very least, it had more emotionality than was thinking to you because I know that's sacrilege for me to say, but uh, even though it was a Makoto Shinkai film, whether it was used up was kind of a mixed bag as well, but uh, also the ending to that is is a lot, is kind of weird, but it's a Makoto Shinkai film, what do you expect? I personally would say if you're looking for something emotional um, and uplifting, watch Kase-san and Morning Glories because that is a little bit of both. If you're looking for something with a twist, there are other things out there that can do this a lot better. But yeah, overall, it is what it is. It's a product of its time, whether that time be the past or the future. But the future is in the past. Yeah, yeah. It's back to the future. <laughs> in any case, um, I, I think the general consensus we have is that there are better things out there. But if you want to check it out, you can find this on Funimation. Um, it is only available for premium subscribers, unfortunately. I, I, I kind of wish... I, I kind of feel like this is one that could have been given for free personally, but that that's just me. Um, with that being said, though, if you want to check out any other anime stuff, you can check it out on Funimation or Crunchyroll. There's some good stuff out there. Um, I would highly recommend Kase-san and Morning Glories and uh, um, some other stuff that are out there. They're, they're good films. I need to see more of them. I'm not as big into the anime films as I should be. Yeah. Um, and if you want to cry your eyes out, watch Assassination Classroom. Oh, yes. Because, oh my god. <laughs> but just remember, there's one episode after the episode that'll make you cry. I learned that the hard way. Yep, yep. There, there is one episode afterwards, and it, it, it is helpful for the future. So I think, you know, that's actually a good anime to watch instead of how um if you're into that sort of thing yes so anyway equins offers end of statement if you want to watch this film for yourself it's available on Funimation's part of a premium membership you can sign up for a free 14-day trial just remember that after the 40 days they will charge your card if it is somehow available floating on youtube it better be one you pay you can be able to pay for if i ever find out you put post a pirate link it will be deleted immediately from the contents yes i am that one guy that does read the comments don't think you can fool me yeah i i try to read the comments um for like the first day or so i don't, i'm i'm not in charge of the channel so i don't like after that i don't see him um on my channel i do that have been said it's the movie is also available on blu-ray dvd as for the podcast, we can be found on YouTube in the Dub Talk Podcast. We have an Instagram, a Tumblr, and a Twitch account. Uh, Twitch would try, try to do more stuff with Tumblr. What's the point of doing stuff with it anyway? It's dead for God's sakes. I mean, they took out the porn. What's the point of Tumblr without the porn? It's the internet. You can find porn anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but Tumblr, Tumblr was the source of porn. Without Without that, what's the point? Yes, we're also available, if you don't want to watch this video, but you do want to hear us while you're on the road, on the go, working out, whatever you need to be, we also have, we're also available on Spotify, uh, Podbean, and Apple Podcasts, wherever you, wherever you listen to your local podcast, we'll be there. But this podcast could be done without you, the viewers, and our patrons, of course. Yes, uh... Our patrons in the five dollars tier, we'd like to say B Boys, Michelle Travis, B Boys, Michelle Travis, Matt, holy shit! Come on, let me finish the fucking episode, will ya? Oh my god, <laughs> this is <a> disaster! <laughs> Man, I picked the wrong week to stop uh, stop sniffing glue. <laughs> Yes, we'd also like to thank our patrons. In the $5 tier, we have B-Boys, Michelle Travis, Mil Miraculous Corazon, 
and Nico Robin with, with Yowie heads. In our $10 tier, we have Anthony Simpson, Carly Neistercat, Crimson Kinder, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Chairman, Julia W., and of course, Marissa Lenti. Thank you for to those who helped make this episode possible. We, we respect you very much, and we hope you continue to support us in our future endeavors. That haven't been said, Zedif, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me in several different places. I'm on Twitter at Zenith Will Rule. That's where I basically live tweet my life. And uh, you can get updates on everything I'm doing, whether it be stuff that I'm doing in the future, uh, schedule future episodes of my show, stuff like that. Uh, if you want to watch my stuff, I have two channels. My gaming channel uh, doesn't have like uh, uh, a custom URL yet, but I'm at uh, Zenith Warrior Gaming. That's where I put all my game streams. I'm working on on Let's Plays as well, but uh, it, you know I just got my new microphone, so it's just trying to iron out the kinks with it. Uh, but my main channel is Zenith Warrior Princess. Uh, that's where you have the Bun Squad. My uh, you know storyline slash review series where I review a bunch of different uh, stuff and uh, my viewers, which are my cute, loyal, fluffy bunny followers, um, uh, chime in and, uh, you know, see my cats who can talk, go on wacky adventures. It's a lot of fun. I hope you check it out. Yeah, so that's for me. I'm an assistant editor for the podcast. I can be found on my YouTube at Chapstar One. And you can be found on Twitter at Chapstar529. I have a blog that's collected us. I do plug in solo podcasts at some point. Maybe something was set for a rule. Who knows? You never know what life will bring you. You never know what the future may hold. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, check us out uh, if you like what you see here today. Uh, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, hit that bell for every notification. Uh, whatever, smash the buttons, whatever the meme is these days. Yes. Uh, so any last words before we head out? Um, just thank you so much for watching. Uh, I hope to see you again in the future. Uh, I have anime reviews on my channel. Uh, I, you know, I do History of One Piece. That is back. History of One Piece survives. And I have other anime stuff that are coming out in the future. Uh, such as Blood Blockade Battlefront, which, if luck serves, will be done by uh, November. So, you know, we have stuff to look forward to. Yeah, this is probably going to be the shortest episode in history, but uh, I guess to, to all of you from us here at the Dub Talk Podcast, good night and otaku on. Keep it in motion. And uh, just watch out for robots. Yeah. You know, you never know when they're going to uprise. Keep it emotional.